what you'll get. Today is the history, some history of this church and some personal history too, to show how the two are connected and why, why I'm standing here, I guess. So in July 2002, I came to Bow Church for the first time. I've been brought up to go to church, mainstream Anglican church in Eastbourne on the south coast, sang in a church choir, didn't go much when I was at university, just Christmas, Easter, weddings, usual stuff. I moved to, um, I went to University of Manchester, came and moved to London. And I moved to Bow in 1989. And in the early 1990s, I went to St. Botos at Hallgate. And then in 1997, I'd won a scholarship and I went to Melbourne in Australia to do a PhD. And while in Melbourne, I started to go to church again regularly. At first, just Christmas and Easter, and then after a relationship breakup, I started going more often. And I'm still in touch with people I met at this church here. So that's All Saints Westgarth. And what happened there directly affected how I came here and why I came here. Arriving at All Saints one Sunday morning, there were two people outside, Alma and Inga. I didn't know that then, but they introduced themselves and said, hello, I said, welcome to All Saints. It was as if they were waiting for me. Stuart the vicar had two churches that he shuttled between on a Sunday morning, literally getting changed in his V-dub bus, hurtling through the vestry to start the second service. I had heard him one Easter Sunday at the other church and decided to go to All Saints because it was a later service, and most of you know that I'm not an early bird. And crucially, it was on my way to and from the university so I could go on there afterwards. I only learned to ride a bicycle in Melbourne in my late 30s, so there you go. It was convenient. I got quite involved at All Saints, which may not surprise some of you. Helping with jumble sales, fondly called trash and treasure, cake stalls, joining the choir, reading a lesson, etc., etc. To the extent that at the last service before I left to return to um, the UK, I sang the psalm, read the lesson, and was completely taken aback. And Stuart said, could I pray over you before you leave to go back to your country, which is a significant expression in um, Australia, and family? I go back any time I'm in Melbourne. In 2011, I even went back for a funeral. One evening, Pete came round to find me sobbing over my laptop. An old lady I'd come to know at All Saints, Merle, had died. I was close to her, and she to me we used to speak sort of every two or three weeks on the phone. So off I went, got off the plane at midnight, and the next morning I was, guess what, reading the psalm again. Merle had chosen Psalm 139. It moves me still, and I shall have it at my own funeral. Now, why am I telling you all this? because it set me up for Bow Church. And I hadn't realized that until I started thinking about this talk. In 2001, I returned from Melbourne and moved back to Bow. That was a lonely year, re-establishing myself in London, temping, working on my thesis when I could. In July 2002, I had some bad news one Sunday morning. A school friend of mine had taken her own life by going over Beachy Head, which, if you grew up in Sussex, is a familiar location. 
I thought, I want to go to church. I lived in Wellington Way, round the corner from Bow Road Tube Station. There was a church in one direction, Holy Trinity, but they had finished their service already. And there was a church in the other direction. I walked down the path and arrived at the church door a little after 11 o'clock, when the service would have started. I hesitated. I had my hand on the door handle. And from somewhere I knew I heard, you know what's going on inside. You'll be fine. Go in. And that was my first visit to Bow Church. And I've never stopped coming in. Jeff Garner was rector. Peter Marshall, Elizabeth's husband, played the organ. And within a year, I was on the PCC. Now, don't roll your eyes. I remember an art show run with Bow Arts when we had the Lord's Prayer in copper wire up in the ceiling and coloured cushions, which a later congregation loathed, but those of us who saw it as the artist intended rather liked, and an oral sound installation about the bells. Later work with artists included regular Sonne Lumiere light and sound shows. There were lunches at the rectory, which was in Tomlin's Grove, not at Coburn Street, and late night drinking at the rectory as well. Then in 2005, I was on PCC, remember? Our then inspecting architect, every church is supposed to have one, gave me about two months notice of an English Heritage Grant deadline. I went for it, filled in the form, got the finance director where I worked to do our accounts, as we had no treasurer. I remember an older lady in the deanery, I was deanery synod rep as well, being properly horrified that we had no treasurer. I walked the form to the Archdeacon's office, conveniently close to where I worked, and coincidentally the church that John Beaver attended at the time. He signed, strongly support, and off I went to English Heritage's office. We got the grant. I forget how much it was, but I think a six-figure sum, principally to do urgent roof repairs. However, while English Heritage were deliberating, Jeff was too, and he wanted to retire. Michael Pete, who was then Vicar of Holy Trinity, needed a church because they were meeting in the Methodist Church on Bow Road, and that was due for redevelopment. Michael and Jeff had known each other for years. They worked it out between them. And in July 2006, Jeff retired, my father died, I was a newly sworn-in church warden, and St Mary's people met Michael and the Holy Trinity folk at the gate, and we walked them. The merger was, in some senses, a bit of a challenge. Each parish had a distinct identity, yet Jeff had handed over to Michael we learned to be a new, larger parish. We got to know each other, and not least because Michael inherited more than he might have wished for. He had a church building, which he loved, but that meant he had to sign the grant applications too. So we had building projects. Oh, the joy. Elizabeth, me, the then treasurer. Yes, we got one of those by now. Everyone was involved. Again, why am I telling you this? Partly because the process of applying for grants meant learning about the history of the church, because it had to be reproduced on every application. This church is grade two star listed, which is a double-edged sword, worthy of support, but public funds come with strings attached. You have to do all sorts of things. Some of them are fun, and some of them are just plain tedious. And Partly because Michael Keat was such a keen local historian, he loved this place and he wanted to celebrate this church and its role. He wrote a book, Seven Parishioners of Bow, 
He established by chance the connection of George Lansbury to Bow, and he was looking forward to the 700th anniversary, which fell in November 2011, and to the Olympics, of course. So we applied for funds quite early on in 2008 to redecorate and rewire the church for Project 700, not knowing what an Annus Horribilis 2011 was to become. Project 700 became a bittersweet project. Michael Pete died April 2011. His book was at proof stage. The church had not yet been repainted. I was still church warden, along with, um, at that time, Robert Ricks and later Bennett Hiscock later that year. The Lansbury Memorial was not yet on the wall. It was hard for all of us, but most of all for Michael's partner, Raymond, who then lovingly attended the inductions of both of Michael's successors. Holy Week 2011, which was just after Michael had died, was warm and bright. The rector had just died, but we had works going on in the church, and together we decided that after Michael's funeral, these would continue. Sadly, though, I remember walking into the church that week and Philippa Miller pointing skyward, sort of more or less in the middle of the church. You could see the sky, bright blue sky, through a hole at the apex of this roof our roof from which lead had been stripped. There were tire tracks in the back churchyard. So that was more work to do that we hadn't planned for. So our fine church roof, boat-shaped as is conventional, had been covered up in the 18th century by one of our benefactors, Prisca Coborn, with a plaster ceiling. This large memorial on the south side is to Prisca Coborn, and I'll mention her a bit later on. The plaster ceiling may have improved the sound or prevented leaks, but it was removed at the end of the 19th century by the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, the SPAB, who put in the three huge crossbeams that hold up the church to this day. St Mary's was one of the SPAB's first projects, well documented in the 1902 Survey of London. So in case you haven't already realised, there's been a place of worship on this site since 1311 and hence all the activity in 2011. It was a sad coincidence that Michael died that year, but it drew us together as nothing else could have done. Unfortunately, for most of the same year, we had neither archdeacon nor bishop, as both had retired due to ill health. Yet we were well supported by local priests, including a certain A rider sitting back there. And when it came to the 700th anniversary itself, we actually had a lot of fun. Adrian Newman, newly appointed Bishop of Stepney, joined us on the eve of the anniversary. It was November. We had sparklers and sausages outside, and Adrian led us into the church for prayers and thanksgiving. The next day, the next bishop, Richard Charters, Bishop of London, preached and blessed our memorials. I even wrote Psalm 700, and we sang it. Peter Marshall wrote music to it, and we sang it as part of the service. And then there's these two tiles in the chancel. You may not know they're there, but they match in colour and pattern the tiles around the altar, which we exposed when we were preparing Project 700. We discovered we had all these tiles around the high altar. So the two memorial tiles uh, were made by the same company, a hundred years later, over a hundred years later. They were my idea and I'm proud that they were approved and die here. Only rectors get to be buried 
in the church or in the chancel. So Michael's ashes are here. More church history. The oldest memorial is the Amcot Memorial. That's this little one over here behind the organ. Dates from 1556, and it's dedicated to Grace Amcott, the wife of a fishmonger. The font at the back, by the entrance to the church, where it would traditionally have been, is even older. It's 15th century, and it looks battered because it spent 300 years in a garden. I've just realised that the Amcott Memorial dates from the reign of Queen Mary, 1553-58, so Mary was a Catholic. Her persecution of Protestants was fierce, and there were martyrs executed burned near here in June 1556, 11 men and two women. The memorial to the Stratford martyrs, as they are known, is in the churchyard at St. John's Stratford, E15, but the site for the burning is now thought to have been the Fairfield, Fairfield Road, because the proper name for this parish is St. Mary's Stratford at Bow, and Stratford Langthorne, where there was an abbey, was the other side of the Lee. Going further back in time, the name Bow refers to the bow both of the River Lee and of the bridge that was built over it by command of Queen Matilda, who was disgusted and infuriated to fall into the river coming into London. The flyover is the present incarnation of the bridge. There's only one, or well, there are two of them, objects in the church that takes Bow as the inspiration for its design. The church wardens are required to carry sticks or staves if the bishop is present, and these are ours. You can't quite read the inscription, but when I showed it to Bishop Richard after the um, 700th service, he was much amused. They're fabulous pieces of arts and crafts design, probably designed by C.R. Ashby himself, who ran the SPAB and had a workshop at Mile End. But around the bottom, it says they were the gift of another rector here, of the Reverend Manly Power. We also had a Reverend Marmaduke Hare, and I am not joking. Women weren't priests at this point, but I've often been struck by the history of women around here. We have, as part of our church silver, there's a 16th century goblet, and it has a, a lid that says on it, the gift of the women, 1617. I've always assumed it has to do with the priory that would have been closer to the St. Leonard site. And that was a, clearly a thriving place with the Abbey of Stratford Langthorne opposite it. The Abbey, I believe, was a Cistercian Abbey. So it was the monks on one side and the women on the other. And um, probably both of them suffered during the dissolution of the monasteries. The Abbey at Stratford Langthorne was certainly dissolved. We have monuments to women here in the church. Yes, Grace Amcott, but Prisca. Prisca was the wife of a, a local brewer. She was a wealthy woman when she died, or she was the widow, and that was why she was so wealthy. And schools and other institutions were established in her name by, um, as set out in her will, which is written on that tablet, on that uh, memorial. And the rectory is in Coborn Street, go figure about which Andrew Sargent knows far more than I do. Much later on, the suffragettes were active in Bow. Indeed, one of the Pankhursts had her office on the south side of the Bow Road. And there were riots in Tomlin's Grove to nearby to women and children were kettled, as we say now, in that street in 1915. A famous local supporter of the suffragettes was George Lansbury. So you can see his memorial. It did finally make it onto the wall on the north wall. 
Lansbury was a feminist, a pacifist, a Christian, and a politician. He and all the members of Poplar Council went to prison rather than pay the rates imposed upon them by wealthier London councils. They saw that as a moral issue. He became leader of the Labour Party before the Second World War, and he attended this church for over 40 years. He stood for election at one point on the women's suffrage ticket and lost his seat. His descendants gathered here for the unveiling of that memorial by Dame Angela Lansbury, the actor, who is his granddaughter. There's a George Lansbury Memorial Trust, yes, another committee I sit on, and an annual lecture given in his name. Of course, there's so much more. The church tower took a direct hit in, the, uh, um, in 1941, I think, and you can see people valiantly carried on worshipping here. And as a consequence of that, the church had to be restored. That's why you can see different colour brick on the tower. But that's where, where we have this east window. This window went in in 1952, and it notably has no religious iconography in it at all. Yet the design does incorporate parts of the church, not least its oldest part. So this chancel ceiling here is the old, old the chancel is the oldest part of the church. Blue and gold both above us here and at the bottom row of the window, you can see blue and gold in the ceiling in the bottom row. The ceiling is 16th century, the window 1952. The most remarkable elements in the window are the animals. There's the squirrel and there's a cat a mouse or two, an owl, and several doves. We know that an earlier priest from here, in 1820-24, Arthur Broom, was a co-founder of the then society, later Royal Society for the Protection of Cruelty to Animals. Perhaps Lewis Curtis, who designed the window, knew that too, and he wanted to honor the animals that Broom and others loved so. I set out on the Camino to Santiago from here, and returned, as all pilgrims do, to bear witness that I had seen St. James. I met Pete in 2009, and he started to come to church with me sometimes. And then he was confirmed here in 2013 by Bishop Adrian. There's the food bank. I was there on day one and volunteer still. The joy of shared worship with our friends at St. Catherine's Roman Catholic Church opposite, especially in Holy Week and the Week of Christian Unity, and all the other events, whether they're fun or tedious. The concerts, the cake stalls, the performances, the lectures, carol singing, and collapsing into the pub or the rectory afterwards. I have made many friends here, and Pete has too. And as you may guess, the most joyful memory of this church. Oh, I'm going to get boosted. <laughs> has to be our wedding day. <laughs> so, my take-home message, look after this place. Alone in the middle of the road, although it was not always so, there were buildings around it. It's been a Christian place for over 700 years. All those years of prayer, penitence and practice, that's what we should celebrate. Every time you come through the door, remember the souls who went before. They trusted God too. You know what to do. Just turn up. The door is open. We're still here. Thanks be to God.